Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters' 90-minute bottomless brunch can be added to the purchase of any entree for an additional $20. Bottomless options include mimosas, Bloody Marys, Trulies, and Bud Lights. Walk on over to Walters for Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Puck drops at 8 p.m. on Monday night. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is by far the most nervous I've ever felt on this field, so bear with me, please. But uh, what, a, what a day to see kind of all this stuff, all these videos, uh, brings back a lot of memories. I think number 11 is up there today because, yes, I could play some ball, but more because I brought the right attitude, work ethic, commitment, and consistency every single year, day in and day out. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, June 19th, 2022, Father's Day 2022. A happy Father's Day to all of the dads listening, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Saturday was a good day in so many ways for the Nats. Uh, the weather was perfect. The pregame ceremony in which Ryan Zimmerman's number 11 was retired was so well done and so well received. We had the Nats' largest crowd of the season at Nationals Park, 42,730. We had a good outing from Josiah Gray, six scoreless innings. We, in the bottom of the ninth, had maybe the moment of the season for the Nats so far. Lane Thomas pinched two out, opposite field, RBI single to right off former Nats closer Brad Hand to tie the game at one. But we also had the result of the game, and that result was another Nats loss, a 2-1, 10-inning loss to the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, Nats now have lost eight consecutive games overall and 12 consecutive games to the Phillies. Nats fall to a National League worst to 23 and 46. But Mark, I don't know. Maybe it's just the nature of this season. I still feel like Saturday was a really nice day for the Nats. It was. It was a good day, Al, that was really close to becoming a great day, potentially the best day of the season with one more swing of the bat. And, you know, maybe I'm just a romantic. Maybe I'm just a sports writer who loves a good story. But in the bottom of the ninth on Zimmerman Day, the guy who hit 11 walk-off homers, I felt like somebody was going to do it. And when Josh Bell connected on that ball, the whole ballpark thought the same thing. Long set. The 0-1 to Bell. Swinging a high drive. Left center field deep. Back goes Herrera. The wind knocks it down, though. And Herrera makes the catch. Shy of the warning track. Oh my goodness, it looked like a home run off the bat, and it does not even reach the warning track. And unfortunately, of all the times for the 
weather to cool down and the wind to be blowing in in the middle of June. You never see that here. It knocked down a bunch of balls today, and that one especially didn't even reach the warning track. They tied it, like you said, then lost in the 10th. But I I felt like something, the cosmos was going to come together, and they were going to win on a walk-off and celebrate Zimmerman Day that way. And they didn't. But I agree, there was a lot of good stuff that happened on this day. And I think also a reminder for everyone, for fans and for these players who maybe had not experienced this before, of what the environment can be like at the ballpark. And when this team is doing well and fans are into it and you're playing good competitive baseball, what it can be like. And they they had it for the majority of this game. They just couldn't do that one last little thing to come away with a win. It was odd and unique to see Nats Park as filled up as it was. I mean, just to be honest, okay, to see 42,000 plus like that, we are not used to seeing that this season, okay? We're used to seeing crowds in the low 20s in terms of thousands and sometimes uh, many fewer fans in that. So it was great to see that. There certainly was an energy to the game, to the day. There's no question about that. It was it was nice. It was, it was refreshing. It was something different with the way that this Nats season has gone. So we can get to the game momentarily, but I mean, the day really was about the Ryan Zimmerman retirement ceremony. And I thought that the Nats did an outstanding job. I thought they nailed it. I thought this was a first-class, well-executed, well-done production. You know, I thought going into it, I said, you know, is this thing going to be too long? Is this thing going to drag? I really didn't feel like it did do that. I thought that the Nats hit all of the right notes. I thought that the videos were great. The bringing back of all these former players was well done. Zimmerman's speech was well done. In theory, something like this should be a layup, but it's not always like that. And to anyone who's a fan of the Commanders, we saw this past October with the debacle that was the Sean Taylor retirement ceremony. These things aren't always as simple and easy as uh, they should be. The Nats, I thought, did a great job with what they did for Ryan Zimmerman. I agree. I had the sense going into it. I knew they'd put a lot of time and care into this one. They had planned this out for a long time, and people in charge of it were hopeful I think fairly confident that they had done it the right way. And they absolutely, I agree, they nailed it. And it's funny you said that your word is going to be long. I kind of had the same thing. You know, boy, they're going to start this thing at 315. The game doesn't start till 435. Other than, I mean, Zim's speech was kind of long, but he was entitled to it. And he mentioned everybody that he needed to mention. It, it was, you know, he's never going to get to Cooperstown. This was his Hall of Fame speech. And I thought it was very appropriate how he gave it. And the emotions were genuine. He was feeling it. I mean, if you were in the park or you're watching on TV and you didn't feel a little something when they played the video that was narrated by his family and specifically his mother, Cheryl. And for those who don't know, she's had multiple sclerosis since Ryan was 10. The act of speaking, something we do with each other every single day, don't even think about that fact, is really difficult for her. And it caught Ryan off guard. He did not know they had done that. It really meant something. You guys got my mom to talk on tape, which is way cooler than anything I've ever done. So that congratulations for that. A lot of people in the ballpark were feeling the emotions in that moment. And so they did that exactly how you're supposed to do it. And, you know, you only get one shot at that, especially being the first one, the franchise player. You only get one crack at it. And they knew they had to nail it. And they did. And kudos to everyone who made that possible. Yeah, I really enjoyed, too, the video with all of his former teammates, and the video concludes with his grandfather coming at the end and speaking like a grandfather, and I can only imagine what that must have felt like for Ryan Zimmerman. So it was great. It struck me watching all this. Ryan Zimmerman, it's such a unique situation because 
he is a slam dunk Nationals Hall of Famer. Like his number being retired, there is no debate. There is no conversation. Usually when you are of that nature to your franchise, there is at least a Hall of Fame case for you. And yet for him, I would say he is a slam dunk no as a baseball Hall of Famer. Like, I don't even know if he's going to get the 5%, to be honest with you. There really isn't a realistic argument for Ryan Zimmerman being a baseball Hall of Famer. So this is such a unique needle that he threads. Obvious slam dunk team Hall of Famer, but obvious slam dunk no as a baseball Hall of Famer. There aren't many guys like that, and yet he is that. And I just find that to be unique. It's hard to think of many other players who are like that, where certified Hall of Famer for the team, but in no way realistically can you argue that the guy's a candidate for the Baseball Hall of Fame. He talked about this a little bit pregame with all of us, and, and what was really a very interesting press conference. It touched on a lot of different subjects, and you know we got some of it to put out there into articles and video clips, but there really was a lot more to it as well. The perfect timing of how this worked out for him, okay? Grew up in Virginia, went to UVA, and happened to be draft eligible the same year that the Nationals were having their first draft pick. The way it all came together for that, first of all, is pretty remarkable. And then it was the decision that he made on on two occasions to sign long-term with them and to decide, I'm going to spend my whole career here. And he gave a really thoughtful answer about how every player has earned the right. If you get to six years in the big leagues, you have earned the right to decide where you want to play. And for a lot of guys, they want to go somewhere else, and that's fine. That's appealing to some. For him, it wasn't appealing. And the idea of staying here and the fact that the team wanted him and that this was home, that mattered to him. And he wanted to do that. And he knew how rare that was. I think I always was under the impression that the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And that's why you can put this all together. If the exact same thing had happened to him and he had been a Kansas City Royal, you wouldn't be having the same discussion. It's because he perfectly timed out with the start of the franchise. And the career arc, it's exactly the career arc of the franchise from the early years to growing, to starting to win, to having all the heartbreak, and then finally culminating with the championship. You couldn't have drawn that up any better. And so he is the perfect microcosm of the franchise. They're going to have better players. They have had better players than Ryan Zimmerman. But nobody's ever going to have the same stature that he will forever have here now. It was a perfect scenario, and I think he really appreciates that and understands just how rare that is in sports. Yeah, I know, to me, he really is like the Cal Ripken of this generation for this area. Like I grew up in this area, so in the 80s and early 90s, we didn't have a D.C. baseball team. The Orioles really were the area's team. The Orioles got covered by the Washington Post and the games got televised by home team sports. And, you know, you didn't really think about a DC team because that was sort of like this pie in the sky notion. And so Ripken was the guy. And I think there are so many similarities between Ripken and Zimmerman. Now, the obvious difference is Ripken was very durable. Zimmerman ended up not being. But, you know, each guy's a bigger guy, but an athletic guy. Each guy was with the same team his entire career, similar style of play, like a lot of parallels between the two. And Zimmerman was so up to the task of being the face of this franchise. Like, his approval rating in this area has got to be among the highest of any person in sports over the last 20 years. Who has anything bad to say about Ryan Zimmerman? And I just, I give him so much credit for that. This was a day in which everyone felt good about him. I think it says a lot that all these players came back for him. I don't think that was a phony thing at all. I think they genuinely liked the guy. And the other thing too that I liked about Saturday was 
it was not a sad day. This did not feel like the ending, really. It just it felt like a celebration. But Ryan Zimmerman is in his mid-30s. He now has this role with the Nationals. Who knows what that's going to end up being? I mean, he has so much time in front of him. There are all kinds of possibilities for what he could do with the team. So, And it's not like he's going anywhere, you know? So it, there was no real sadness to, to this day. It was, just, it was a happy day. It was well done. And Ryan Zimmerman is still very much a part of the Nationals franchise. Yeah, I think the only sadness, if there was any, was to go from that to now the reality of the team that's currently on the field and the situation that they're in. But even in that case, because he talked about that as well, he went through it himself. He knows what this is like, and he acknowledged that it probably needed to happen here. He can advise these young guys on what it's like and how to get through it and to believe in where they're going to ultimately get to someday, they think. But I want to talk about the ex-teammates because I, I really thought that was cool as well. So first thing you said that it was genuine that those guys wanted to be there, 100%. Adam LaRoche said to me, there could be 200 ball players here today, and all of them would show up on their own dime to celebrate. That's how many people felt that way about Ryan Zimmerman, all the ex-teammates. He said, even guys who played against him, there's nobody was more respected around the game. Everybody understood and respected the player that he was. The other thing that I really, that struck me and I thought was, was cool is you had a bunch of guys from the 2012 team, the first one to make it to the playoffs. And so you had actually the whole infield, LaRoche, Espinoza, Desmond, Zimmerman, and then you add Jason Worth to that group as well, and Jordan Zimmerman and Gio Gonzalez. They were all here. And this is the 10-year anniversary of that first team to win the division. And it almost felt like, in a way, a celebration of that generation of Nationals players who lifted the franchise from laughingstock to perennial contender. And in a way, it was almost like a day for them as well. Obviously, Zim was the front and center of it. But we haven't had a chance to see all those guys back together again. You see one comes here or there or somebody will come back with another team or, you know, Gio will show up at the ballpark sometimes because he lives here or Worth will show up. But to have them all together, I thought was really special and a reminder of that group. I know they didn't win at all, but they felt a common bond of having been the first group to turn the Nationals into a winner and change the perception of the franchise. Yeah, it felt like a homecoming day in a lot of ways for the Nationals, which I think was a good thing. And I think for the fan base, something like this was needed. This has been really tough this season and so much of last season. And so to have a day like this, it felt good. It felt nice to be reminded of the good times. And they're not that long ago. And, you know, they can perhaps uh, be coming back sooner than we think. Was there anyone not involved or not there who you thought should have been involved or should have been there or was basically everyone who should have been a part of this a part of this? I mean, I was thinking about like, okay, so we saw Dusty Baker in that one video with the ex-teammates. Was there anything with like Manny Actor or anybody like that? Or They didn't cover every manager he had here, I guess, right? No. So we didn't see Manny Actor, Jim Riggleman, um, Davey Johnson, certainly not Matt Williams. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there was a little of that. I thought it was a little interesting, and I don't know if it was on purpose or not, that Zim, he made a crack about you know all the managers I played for, and there were a lot of them. And then he specifically mentioned Frank Robinson, said some nice things about him, and then Davey Martinez as well, and left everyone else out. Now, I don't know if that was condensed for time or if perhaps his feelings on different managers along the way weren't quite all the same, which it's understandable when you play for, I think, eight different managers. You know, that might be the case. Among the players, the one I was thinking of was Michael Morse that we didn't see or hear from. You know, I wouldn't read anything into that necessarily, but he was maybe one. 
there weren't a whole lot from going for you know, Levon Hernandez. You know, wasn't in any of this, but you know, I wouldn't make too big a deal out of anyone who didn't appear in it because I don't think it's necessarily a reflection of their relationship with Zimmerman or not. They may have just wherever they were, whatever they were doing, didn't get the chance to do it. I thought also was notable, and I was curious how this was going to go. So Bryce Harper, of course, was here for this because they're playing the Phillies. Now, he did not participate you know, on the field in person. He was watching from the dugout. He was there, watched the whole thing, and he was part of the video montage. And I was interested what the fan reaction, because we know what it is when he plays here. And there was applause when he came on the screen. It was a short, you know, it was a three-second, five-second clip. There was applause. There was not booze. And then just... By coincidence, Max Scherzer was the next one. I just want to tell you congratulations. Well-deserved um, retirement and retiring of, of number 11. It finally happened. Just want to say congrats on your retirement day. You had a heck of a career. I uh, love playing with you for all those years. And uh, my favorite memory is definitely pouring champagne in your eyes after we won the World Series. And the crowd roared for Max. And so you got that little bit of, like, you understand there's a difference in how those guys are still perceived among the Nationals fan base. But whatever fans might think of Bryce in terms of when he comes here to play, I was glad to see that there was applause for him in honoring Zimmerman because he, of course, was a big part of the team for a lot of the time that Zimmerman was here. Yeah. And this thing that I've heard some people say of like, he chose the Phillies over the Nats. No, 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 no. The Nats were good with him leaving. And he was kind of left out there to pick among just a handful of teams in that free agency that ended up being pretty underwhelming and in some ways embarrassing for him. So this thing of like, he chose to leave the Nats for the Phillies, it's not an accurate depiction of what happened. So I think to be mad at him for that, it's like he he needed to find employment, you know? So he went to the Phillies and they gave him the contract that he was looking for. So I don't personally hold it against Bryce Harper. I, I think, you know, I think he's he's worthy of being cheered. Now, I think Max is worthy of louder cheers, but I, I have no problem with Nats fans cheering Bryce Harper. Yeah, it's funny. I remember thinking this at the time, and it's absolutely played out exactly the same way, just an opposite. When Jason Worth would go back to Philadelphia, it was the same thing. They booed him like crazy. And there were a handful of people like, why are you booing him? He helped us win a World Series. He was a great player. He never said he wanted to leave, but the Phillies didn't make him an offer nearly as good, and he took the better offer from the Nationals. Why would you boo him? And it's so funny to see the exact opposite now happen with Harper, again with Philly. You know, maybe over time, towards the end of Worth's career, he did start to get embraced again. I think they had a day that honored him when he retired in Philadelphia. So maybe that'll eventually happen here with Bryce. I don't know. It's going to be a long time, 13-year contract. Who knows what kind of wounds will have healed by then or not. But, you know, the other thing is, you said it felt like a homecoming. I agreed. And, and Zim brought this up as well. They've got 17 years of history now. There's enough there to start feeling like you have an alumni base, that you can have more events where you bring these guys together, both to help out the young players who are here now, but also to have public events. And there's a history to this franchise now that they did not have, and it's okay to start celebrating it. There's enough there. There's enough players, enough quality players, and enough success for the team to start doing these things. Yeah, and I think that's important to build Washington, D.C. as a baseball city to have history. Because the senator's history, first of all, technically isn't a part of this franchise, but second of all, is so far in the past, so few people remember it. And obviously, like the Expos history, which is officially part of the franchise history, most people in D.C. don't really care about. So now that you have some kind of Washington, D.C. Nationals history, there's definite value in that. I think it's funny, too, Kyle Schwarber, ex-Nat, was on Boston for Zimmerman's final game. 
is on Philadelphia for his Jersey retirement game. I think that's kind of odd that a, a former teammate like that is there. So really good day. The, the weather too. I mean, I was thinking like, imagine if it had rained, like how horrible would that have been? The weather was perfect on Saturday. Like this was the best weather day. And I don't know how long in the Washington DC area. So the gods were on the side of the Nats for this Ryan Zimmerman ceremony on Saturday. For the middle of June, I can't ever remember a day like this where the wind was, it was actually legitimately a little chilly with the wind blowing in. One day earlier, when they played the doubleheader Friday, it was in the 90s. I'm trying to imagine everybody sitting out there at three in the afternoon in the baking hot sun and humidity. If they had done the ceremony then, totally different story. Or like you said, God forbid if it had rained. And as we know, you know, (laughs) it's funny. We talk about since October of 2019 until now, all the things that have gone wrong, like worst case scenario. This may have been the first one that actually really everything went exactly perfectly. Maybe it's a tribute to Ryan Zimmerman from some specter, some form above who controls these things to want to make sure that he had his day and that it was perfect. Well, you know, he had the knack for coming through in the clutch with the walk-off homers. That was a Ripken thing. In some of his biggest games, he homered. When he broke, when he tied the streak, he homered. His final All-Star game, he homered. So here you had Zimmerman's day and like everything went well. Some guys just kind of have that thing where just things tend to work out for him. I don't know. It's a, it's an odd deal, but Zimmerman has that, and uh, we saw that on Saturday. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline here's the set in the 0-1 swinging a ground ball back to Gray and this will be a fitting way to end six innings an underhand toss to Bell for the out good for Davey giving him a chance to finish that right there that's That's, good stuff that's a a big time performance by Josiah Gray and he'll soak in the applause as for the actual game for the Nats uh, a 2-1 10 inning loss to Philadelphia at Nationals Park on Saturday. This ended up being a pitcher's duel between Aaron Nola and Josiah Gray. Uh, Nola ended up tossing eight scoreless innings, eight strikeouts versus one walk. Josiah Gray on this day was starting a game for the first time since June 8th. It had been a while, right? He was supposed to start on Monday night. The game got postponed by 90 plus minutes due to rain. Gray ended up not making his start. 
I didn't know what to expect from Josiah Gray in this game. I don't even know if he knew what to expect from himself in this game. And, you know, it ended up being kind of a strange game because you could argue that he was really good. You could also argue that he really wasn't that sharp. Now, he ultimately tossed six scoreless innings, which is great. But he threw the six scoreless innings on 117 pitches, which is a staggering pitch count for six scoreless innings like that. And he threw a lot of balls, 66 strikes versus 51 balls. Uh, He gave up three walks, a hit by pitch and a wild pitch, but he only gave up one hit, which was a single. Uh, He had four strikeouts. He did a great job of navigating his way out of trouble, especially in what ended up being a scoreless top of the first. And at the end of the day, six scoreless innings for this pitching staff right now, you take it and run with it. So I think overall, good job by Josiah Gray. It wasn't always pretty, but he ultimately was effective. Yeah, I thought this was a case where the results maybe in some ways mattered more than the how he got there, which is fine. We've had games here where you said, boy, he looked really good, but the end line was yeah, not that great. So I thought it was important for that. And just the fact that they pushed him way beyond he's ever been pushed before. His career high previously was 102, and that was, I think, his last start. He only hit 100 a couple of times. So he went to 117, and there was nobody warming in the bullpen. He was going to finish that inning no matter what. I think maybe at the very end, they finally had somebody up. And you could see from Josiah the emotions when he got that last out, he was fired up. It meant something to him that they gave him the opportunity to finish the inning, and then the fact that he did actually finish it. And he brought up getting to pitch in front of a big crowd. He had never done that before, not here. And so that, you know, he felt the energy of that. I thought this was a big, important start for him against, as we know, a very difficult Phillies lineup. Now he was helped in some ways by the wind. <laughs> there were a couple balls early that uh, on a different day, different wind pattern, they're probably home runs, but that's fine. I thought it was an important start for him, an important step for him to show that he can gut that out like that. You go six scores on one hit, I don't care how many pitches you threw. You did an excellent job to get to that point. You're doing something right. Uh, he lowered his ERA for the season to under four at 395. And, you know, like the chops that he showed in that top of the first, he gives up a one-out single to D.D. Gregorius on a 1-2 pitch, issues a two-out hit-by-pitch of J.T. Real Muto, issues a two-out five-pitch walk of Oduble Herrera. So the bases are loaded, and he ends up not giving up a run. He strikes out Alec Bohm on five pitches for the third out. I mean, really good stuff with him doing that. Now, obviously, you didn't love him loading the bases like that, but he found his way out of trouble, and he ended up giving the Nats six scoreless innings. You know, it's interesting right now. I mean, we know that the Nats are in the midst of this brutal stretch. Davey is pushing guys. He's begging starters for length. He's having relievers on the regular now, it feels like, going for more than an inning, you know, just trying to figure out a way to get through this series and get to that long-anticipated off day on uh, Monday. I mean, it's it's funny to me what happened with the Nats' bullpen in this game. So you ended up using three relievers, Erasmo Ramirez, Reed Garrett, and Andres Machado, who had just been optioned to AAA Rochester on Friday. He gets brought back up on Saturday afternoon because it turns out now that Evan Lee is on the 15-day injured list. Remember, he looked really off in his outing in the uh, game one loss of the doubleheader on Friday afternoon, faced eight batters, got three outs, allowed the other five guys to reach base, issued four walks, two wild pitches. He's now on the 15-day IL with a left flexor strain. So Machado is being yanked all up and down. Now, and, and the thing about Machado, too, is there's a new rule this season. Five times you can be called up and down, right, if you have an optionable year? Yes, you're limited to five options, uh, being optioned down five times a year. Now, 
the the tricky thing here, and they were still trying to figure this all out exactly, uh, didn't count in April because they had the expanded roster. So that was one thing. And there may be a provision that when you are called back up because of an injury to somebody else, it may not count the same way. So they're still trying to figure that out. But they do acknowledge that they may run out of these at some point, and they do have to be careful with that. Otherwise, you either one or two things happens. You get stuck with a guy in the big leagues for the rest of the season, kind of like a rule five pick, or he's at AAA, he only has one option left, and you're too scared to bring him up because you don't want to risk uh, having to send him back down again or, or losing him if you do. Yeah. And so you're thinking about this. I mean, we're only in June and they may be running out of options here with Andres Machado, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. But in this game, Erasmo Ramirez went for two innings, gave up a run. Reed Garrett tossed one official inning, but he pitched both the ninth and 10th innings. So like Davies just trying to get anything out of people at this point. And how about the job that Machado did do in this game? He came into the game in the top of the 10th with the bases loaded, nobody out, and the Nats down 2-1 off the Reese Hoskins uh, RBI single off Reed Garrett for the 2-1 lead. And Machado (laughs) recorded three straight outs without allowing an inherited runner to score. What a last 24, 48 hours for Andres Machado. It was crazy. That's an incredible escape act by him. I want to give credit also to Cesar Hernandez and Cabert Ruiz on a tough chopper with the infield in. Field it, made the solid throw to the plate. Cabert, uh, that's not as easy as it looks for a catcher with the catcher's mitt to make that catch. Make sure you have your foot on the plate. So good job there. Just for those who are wondering, why were those the three pitchers in a tight game that even went into extra innings when they had you know, their A bullpen, as it were, none of them pitched? Well, the reason is that both Carl Edwards Jr. and Kyle Finnegan pitched both ends of Friday's doubleheader, and Tanner Rainey warmed up twice in the first game, did not appear, and then did pitch in the nightcap. He briefly warmed up on this one. I think the idea was maybe he could face one batter. The situation didn't present itself, but they were trying to avoid him at all costs as well. So, I mean, this is who they had, and it's unfortunate that it came down to that, a really good competitive game. You would have liked to see what might have happened if you had Edwards, Finnegan, and Rainey instead. But, you know, props them. I know Garrett gives up a run. It's the inherited runner, the the, uh, automatic runner in the 10th. Don't want to get too hard on him. It was his second inning of work. Um, All things considered, I I think it's an impressive job the bullpen did in this game. Yeah, yeah. The offense really was a problem in this game. The Nats totaled just the one run, five hits, two walks, one for seven with runners at scoring position. The moment, though, of the Lane Thomas game-tying pinch RBI single there with two outs and two strikes on him, I mean, that really was some job by Lane Thomas. He comes off the bench. He's facing Brad Hand. And I don't know about you, but given the Phillies' recent history with their bullpen and given what we saw from Mr. Hand during his time here, I I was not in, in any way thinking this game was done when he came into the game. I was like, you know what? There's very much a chance here the Nats could tie this game up, if not win it. And that was some job by Lane Thomas. He was down at one point in the count one, two, ends up lacing an opposite field RBI single to right field. And to see the 42,000 plus erupt like that, I mean, I was thinking about this. Is there Has there been a better singular moment this Nats season? I mean, not that there are like, a, that there's a mile long list of candidates, but that was a pretty cool moment on Ryan Zimmerman Day, bottom of the ninth, a pinch RBI single to tie the game off an ex-Nat like that in front of a a crowd of nearly 43,000. That was pretty cool to see. Slider, line drive, base hit right field. Soto coming home. The throw from Beerling is not in time. He slides in. The game is tied. 
Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. There probably wasn't, or if it did, didn't happen in front of a crowd or anything like this. They don't have a walk-off win this year, I'm pretty sure. You know, they've battled a few times. There have been some exciting moments late, but they usually end up on the wrong end of them. I mean, they tied the game on Friday night, but that was on an air, so it wasn't quite the same thing. So, yeah, I agree. It was a great at-bat to step up like that, down to your last strike, go the other way with it. I was really impressed with that. And uh, Yeah, I agree. It had that feeling, like I said, on Zimmerman Day, Brad Hand on the mound. It was like, they're actually going to find a way to pull this off, aren't they? And they came close. They didn't quite do it. I'm curious for your thoughts on the bottom of the 10th when they hit three straight flyouts to left field. We thought maybe they'd try to manufacture and just get the run home, although maybe it wasn't the right hitters for that. But how did you feel about A. Ray Adrianza pinch hitting for Victor Robles with two outs in the bottom of the 10th? I thought that was quite an indictment of where Victor Robles stands right now. I think it is. I wonder, knowing how much Davey loves to play off yesterday's results, how much of that may have been Adrianza, who, remember, had that meaningless RBI double, and maybe that was sticking in Davey's mind. Adrianza, in the Game 2 loss on Friday night in an Nats one-run 10th, had a two-out first pitch opposite field RBI double to right to cut the Nats deficit to 8-7. As ridiculous as it may sound, I wonder if that was in the back of Davey's mind. And he's like, well, he did it last night. Maybe he could do it again today. I mean, Robles is not a great hitter. We know that. I would prefer him over A. Ray Adrianza. Okay. I mean, just my opinion here. But I wonder if Adrianza having that double was in Davey's mind when he pinch hit for Robles with Adrianza. I don't know if it was that. My guess it was more of a lefty-righty thing against Sir Anthony Dominguez, probably figuring it was a better matchup. But it is an indictment of Robles. Let's just be honest that... With the game on the line, you're determining that someone else who is a pretty weak hitter was actually a better option for you uh, than a guy who, in theory, at least starts for you on a somewhat regular basis. So I I, I don't know. I, I thought that was pretty telling as far as I, I think it had more to do with how they feel about Robles than how they feel about Adrianza. Adrianza was just the best option they had on the bench at that point. I think Riley Adams was the only other one that they hadn't used at that point. That's the thing. See, I would have thought Adams would have been the guy. That's why I think he went with Adrianza, because I think in Davey's mind, he's like, well, he hit a double last night, so maybe he can do it again today. You know, I just, I don't know. I could see him. That's kind of like the the Davey logic sometimes with this stuff. Juan Soto on Saturday. So another game in which he doesn't do much in terms of generating hits. He did have two walks. One of them was an intentional walk, and he had this infield single, bottom of the first, a one-out infield single to the left side of the infield. He was easily safe, initially is called out, then got ruled safe via a successful Nats challenge. Uh, As you noted on Twitter, this umpiring crew has had some series, okay? But then Soto gets caught on an attempted steal of second base for the third out, and this happened with Josh Bell batting, the same Josh Bell who had hit four home runs over the first three games of this series. Do you know, did Soto run on his own or was he told to run in that spot? I don't know specifically. Uh, My guess, based on the way they usually do these things, is they give a green light, which is if you feel you can take the base, if you get a good jump, you can go for it. They don't all that often just give a straight up steal, no matter what signal. It's more up to the runner if he feels right in that moment on that particular pitch to do it. Now, they'll put a red light up as well if they say, no, we don't want you trying anything. I don't think it was anything like that. You know, that whole inning, what it felt to me like, maybe I'm reading more into it than I should, but it felt like after having his hustle questioned the night before, you had Juan Soto busting it down the line on the infield grounder and beating it out and now trying to show that he can win games for you with his legs. 
and not just his bat and trying a little too hard to make something happen, you know, on the bases and getting caught stealing. I, we didn't talk to him, so I don't know if that's actually what was in his mind or not. But it, in the moment, it kind of felt like that to me. Yeah, that was bad with Josh Bell hitting like that. And look, Bell didn't have a big game on Saturday, but you didn't know that at the time. Bell was on fire. You you don't run yourself into a third out like that with Bell batting. I couldn't stand that. Soto has not had, I mean, Soto has one hit this entire series. It's that meek infield single. That's the only hit this guy has this entire series. It's just, it's amazing right now seeing him as he is. I give him credit. I mean, he hustled hard on the Lane Thomas uh, RBI single in the ninth. And he's, he's, uh, I love the way he slid into home plate. So that was, you know, again, a great moment. Cool to see that. And, you know, Soto, I, you know, I think he's trying. Like, I, I still wonder sometimes about the knee, although running home in the ninth inning, then he looked just fine. But man, he just is not producing right now like we know he can. Well, I said going into this series, the Nats are going to win a game in this series, right? It's so hard to get swept over the course of five games. Here we are now. The Nats are on the doorstep of the indignity of a five-game sweep. Yes, the Nats, if they don't win this game five of the series on Sunday afternoon, will have been victimized to the tune of a five-game sweep by the Phillies. And it is up to Jackson Tatro to, to stop the bleeding. Is Jackson Tatro up to the challenge? Now, this is a unique game on Sunday afternoon. This is a Peacock game. It's a 12:05 first pitch. So think about this too. Game one of the doubleheader on Friday was uh, Friday afternoon, 105. The Nats in a period of a little more than 48 hours will play four games. That is nuts when you think about that. And yet the Nats are about to complete that. So as we've been saying, this has been a rough stretch here for the Nats. But Senor Tetro, uh, the task is on you. The onus is on you to stop uh, the Nats losing streak and to prevent a five-game sweep. We will see what he's got in him. They're going to push him. They kind of have to. They do know they have another guy who's available behind him to provide innings if needed. That's Corey Abbott, who was called up the day before. He has been a starter at AAA. He wasn't needed in either of these first two days that he was up here. So don't be surprised if we see him. You would hope if you can get to the late innings and it's close that now Edwards, Finnegan, Rainey will be available. They finally get an off day on Monday before they go to Baltimore for a two-game series. They've got to suck it up, try one more time. And best thing they could do, Al, score a bunch of runs, score early, take the pressure off. I don't feel like we're talking about the lineup enough. It's just not happening right now. And, yeah, they face some good pitchers, but they haven't all been. And this is a team that we felt like should be able to score runs. We thought they'd be involved in plenty of 10-inning games this year. We thought they'd be like uh, Friday nights was, 8-7. to seven. We did not think there'd be a lot of 2-1 games this year. That's what they are right now, surprisingly. Need a lot more from Soto. Need more from Nelson Cruz. He's not having a good series. Cruz on Saturday, 0-4, for 4, two strikeouts, left four men on base, uh, no doubt. The pitching has probably been the biggest problem. The offense, I think, has been the biggest disappointment because we actually had some expectations for the offense this season. Uh, and the offense has not come through. We didn't mention this. I'll just mention it real quick. Luis Garcia had another error on Saturday. Top of the fourth, a two-out throwing error uh, on a grounder off the bat of Alec Bohm. It was interesting, though, if you watched the game on Masson, Ryan Zimmerman was in the Masson booth when Garcia did this. I either didn't know this or I forgot about this. Zimmerman played shortstop. One game. One game and committed two errors. Yeah, and he, and he, he made that joke. He said, I never played shortstop again. But uh, that was pretty. That was pretty funny to hear him talk about that. But yeah, this is becoming almost a a, a game in game out thing now. A Luis Garcia error. Boom! Hits a ground ball to his left. Garcia from behind the back throws wide of first base. It'll go through the camera well, and that will allow Boom to head up to second base. 
He is hitting. Okay, he had another hit in this game, although it was an infield single. But the throwing seems to be the thing with him. They got to get that under control. So hopefully that happens here at some point. Yeah, it's about footwork. It's about arm slot, staying on top of the ball and not from the side. And about finding the right balance between taking it easy and not rushing. There's somewhere in between that. Sometimes it seems like he's a little too lackadaisical. Sometimes it seems like he tries to do too much. He's got to find the right balance. The hope would be is that with more and more reps, especially at the big league level, he starts to get it. I don't know. We've talked about all along. There's been a lot of question over whether this guy is actually a shortstop or not. But for now, he's going to keep getting the opportunities. And you just hope you see improvement and that the mistakes he makes are not repeated mistakes, as we've seen with some other players. That's when you get really concerned. If he can improve, show that things are getting better, then you can live with the mistakes now and understand that he's a young guy learning on the fly here and that hopefully it will be better as he gets older. Yeah, we got an email from Kurt Stahl asking, why can't Luis Garcia be moved full-time to second base? And we've discussed that. You have Cesar Hernandez. That won't be the case next year, we don't think anyway. And so maybe that's just Luis's position. I mean, he played a lot last year at the major league level, but he played at second base. So this is, I don't want to say it's new to him playing shortstop, but playing every day at the major league level at shortstop is new. So I think you do have to give him time. But yeah, I mean, it's becoming almost a daily thing now, your Luis Garcia era. Uh, for the day. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, hit up Tim Shover's Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. We also are welcoming your Ryan Zimmerman voice memos. So you have memories of Zim, thoughts on Zim, the number 11 now officially retired. Send us your thoughts and we'll play them on the podcast. Again, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. Nats Chat is on the radio on Sunday mornings, Sunday mornings at 9 on both 1061 ESPN in Richmond and Sports Radio 965 FM and 850 AM in the Hampton Roads area. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And we leave you now with the memories of Mark in Chicago of Ryan Zimmerman. Hey, Mark, Allen, Tim. This is Mark from Chicago. Without a doubt, my favorite Ryan Zimmerman memory was May 12th, 2007, when he hit a walk-off home run against the Marlins at 1.30 in the morning, thanks to two lengthy rain delays. There were about 200 fans left in the seats after enduring those two rain delays And I was there with my friends, Liz and Josh and Barry, and it was just an incredible experience to be. There were so few people in the stadium, everybody going nuts with uh, Mr. Walkoff hitting what would be his uh, another signature walkoff home run at 1.30 in the morning. Truly a special experience. To the fans and so many people in the D.C. community, thank you for all the support along the way. It was one hell of a ride we went on together, and I can honestly say I wouldn't change a thing. I appreciate the sport on the field, the 100 lost years, and the close to 100 win years, you guys were there.